Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich. The 11th annual edition of the MBA's Elder Law Guide was completed and ready for publication before the COVID-19 pandemic changed so much. So the typical approach of making the guides available in print and having attorneys volunteer their time in person at senior centers to talk about these issues, well, that obviously couldn't happen. So the MBA is distributing the guide electronically in a variety of ways. Which brings us to today's podcast. I'm pleased to welcome attorney Alex Moschella, chair of the MBA Elder Law Advisory Committee, and another member of the committee, Josephine Babiars, an advisor to the nonprofit cooperative Farmate and an attorney in Arlington. This year's Elder Law Guide tackles, among other things, important issues related to COVID-19. Let me open up by saying thank you for the hard work that you and your team have done put together the Elder Law Guide. Was this particularly challenging uh, this year, Alex? Uh, Far more so than any other year because we had to regroup, Jordan, to say that we cannot distribute it by print. And in the middle of the COVID crisis, Joe was a driving force to make us stop to look at the gaps that we had because we did not have any real significant materials addressing medical decision-making due to COVID. So we had to spend endless hours on doing um, some of the inserts that we put it into uh, the guide. Mm. So in a nutshell, the major issue was it was no longer going to be distributed by print since the councils for aging were not able to have in-person presentations. So we had to change the whole methodology, Jordan, of the Mm. guide. It was no longer going to be lawyer presentations. It was going to be done in a different way. And even now, it's a big question mark. How are we going to reach the isolated elders who may be confined to their home? Electronically through podcast and web and other areas. Joe, um, same question. This is a monumental task every year anyway, but with COVID changing the landscape uh, must have presented quite a challenge as well. It did because when we were going into our general period of finalization, which is February, we were just learning about the science of COVID. We didn't even have a sense of how serious it would be. And we didn't understand the impact on elders in particular. And as we have continued to work on this, we've seen the science evolve. And without the protections in place, I think we would have had much more dire results in Massachusetts than we have had. We've been able to present information to people as it developed. And I think the information that we have now being prepared in the time of COVID is particularly timely, even if even if we are on a downturn in Massachusetts. Mm. I'd like to focus, of course, on the COVID aspect, but let's also remind people that there are a lot of issues here affecting older Americans that this Elder Law Guide takes up. Alex, what are the standard issues that are going to be found here, the things that we expect to find? Well, after years of experience working with a wide range of attorneys with hands-on contact on specialty topics, It's the alphabet soup, so to speak, uh, Jordan. But I I would say if you were to say that the priority of the uh, building blocks are starting with health care decision making and moving right down the list to uh, long term care. If one is Mm -hmm. in a nursing home and they want to protect assets, what are the rules and regulations for mass health? 
but more importantly, a lot of time spent on community services. How do you to be able to have services at home? Then moving on to reverse mortgages, uh, long-term care insurance issues, patients' rights in nursing homes. And Joe did a tremendous uh, piece on Medicare, which is you know often totally misunderstood in terms of when one turns 65. It's a whole conundrum of sub-issues that come up on yeah. those topics, Jordan. The time where you're more contemplative and reflective and people are thinking of mortality, depending on your age group, is to really look at avoiding probate, maybe the use of trusts, uh, making sure your documents, making sure if you have IRAs or beneficiary insurance policies, you've got the right people on them. A lot of people are even confused. Who do I name as a beneficiary in my life insurance? Oh, I wanted to add my niece, nephew, my kids. I left someone out. Really be very disciplined to make sure you've got those key documents and key assets the way they should be set up. Revisit them again now. So, Joe, uh, if you want to just uh, a line or two about the, the Medicare, which is important, but also a couple of the other issues before we get to COVID that this elder law guy handled. Well, because COVID and Medicare are related, I'll pass on additional information until that time. But we looked, and particularly due to Alex's view of what the elders are confronting, we looked at a number of issues that do impact people as they age. And one of the important things in the LGBTQ community is that the laws in Massachusetts are different than the federal laws. And there are concerns for folks who are in this community trying to incorporate their wants and needs into the general uh, general framework, if you will. Because very often medical providers ask for the next of kin. Some of these folks have not been married. Some of these folks have longstanding relationships that are outside of the family or maybe even unknown to the family. In terms of elder driving, we all understand that our car is our stallion, our way of getting around. And it is very difficult in our society to deprive someone of their ability to move. But it can be very dangerous for both the elder who is incapable of driving at some point and also for the others who are in line with that car. So these are things that we do have to face as we age. And we thought that including them in the guide would help people at least address it with their families. Right. Well, we will tell people uh, very clearly at the conclusion how to get the guide uh, online and how to access it. Let me now focus on the real reason we're here for this particular podcast, and that's the COVID-19 response. And let's talk about the checklist because this is so important, so critical for all listeners and their friends and family. Alex, I'll start with you. The checklist is obviously new this year because COVID is new this year. In general, and then we'll talk a little more specifically, what does it cover? Jordan, uh, the most essential item would be the uh, healthcare proxy. It's a simple consumer-friendly form. It's attached to the materials. Uh, We made sure that we were able to emphasize its importance. It doesn't have to be notarized. It just has to be witnessed. Uh, You have to import... uh, name an agent, and that agent has broad uh, powers to act in the best interest of uh, each of us, including life-sustaining treatment and end-of-life treatment. But you have to express that uh, in terms of what your feelings are, and that's, that's a very difficult issue. Right? Maybe we should defer to that in terms of what are the conversations we should have with family members around these very difficult and complex issues of whether you would want to be on a ventilator, DNR orders, uh, CPR, all of those complex personal issues. 
So the checklist is to ensure that if you're being admitted to the hospital or you're going to the emergency room, you should have your healthcare proxy. You should have certain information with you in case you cannot speak. And Joe was very emphatic on the fact that if you're having breathing problems and you're admitted to the hospital, you're not going to be able to communicate. So you need to have uh, a checklist of items, your name, your age, your, your medications that you're on, your cell phone, a tablet with you, and you may not have it charged. And so there's a certain little safety kit that um, would we have the presence of mind, Jordan, to make sure if we're yeah. going to the emergency room and we're having trouble breathing, are you leaving in that kind of a crisis situation? Just grab the stuff that you need. This conversation starter kit is very, very helpful. A lot of helpful information here, but what are some of the key points for people to take away? I think we chose number one to be the healthcare proxy for a very obvious reason is if you can't breathe, you can't talk. But more importantly than that, the healthcare proxy is the only way your loved ones have an opportunity to follow your will, your wishes in the event of a medical emergency. If they don't know what to do, they can't do what you want. Your ability to communicate to them, regardless of COVID, regardless of any of the health problems you might be facing, is key because medicine doesn't have a cure for everything. No one lives forever. But if you have a path for your loved ones to follow, it makes a huge difference. These are difficult, very difficult conversations to have, but you owe it to yourself and your loved ones to have a set of wishes and plans in place. And frankly, you may want to involve your doctor because if you have existing conditions such as diabetes or some kind of health, uh, heart health problem or something else, some of the medications that are recommended for COVID may not be appropriate for your existing condition. And people need to have some direction about what you would like to do. So that is key. And you can make it very simple. You can simply say, if my choice is to be on a ventilator, I will go so many days or not. If my choice is to enroll in a clinical trial, I will do it with this in mind. Only if the prospects will not harm my existing health or only if I'm able to keep my mental capacities, if that's known. Those are the kinds of things you should be talking about. In terms of the Medicare and health insurance numbers, there is a place in Medicare where you can enroll those that you want to be notified of your condition and share information on your condition. It's right on the Medicare website and you should go ahead and do it. But meanwhile, just write down on a piece of paper those that need to be notified. And the current list of medications is absolutely essential. COVID treatments very often involve bl uh, blood platelet counts and other kinds of blood clotting. And if you're already on some of this medication and the practitioners don't know, it will cause a delay or some possible uh, problem that you don't want to see. And as for all the rest of it, yes, you cannot be visited by people. So that is something you have to really take into account, take into consideration. With the healthcare proxy, please make sure that the person you've chosen as proxy and the second know your selection and that they agreed to do it. It's not the time when you're in the hospital to have somebody say, Mom, I really don't want this responsibility. Give it to my brother. <laughs> you just don't want to end up doing that. And then 
In number two, you'll see a longer list. These are things that you need to discuss with your provider as well as your healthcare proxy person. What about CPR? What about a ventilator? What about a clinical trial? A clinical trial, as you understand, is something where they are experimenting with a possible treatment. It may not work at all. It may work really well. They just don't know. What type of medical care do you want continued? And what is some of the other things that you can look at here? Remember also um, that Governor Baker has put through a fair amount of information on this boy healthcare, uh, boyhealth.com. And that's a great resource for folks too. That is a wonderful website. It's spelled B-U-O-Y health.com, buoy health.com, just so people can grab that. Alex, um, there's an old expression, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. People will hopefully stay healthy, but as they're healthy, older Americans, we now start to think about things we maybe not have thought about. And that's estate planning, which is a more formal term you know, knowing that your wishes are going to be fulfilled. Is this a good time for anyone, only because of the crisis, to really uh, take a look at what they have in place, review their documents, have an attorney review their documents? Tell us more about that. We become more reflective and contemplative during a crisis like this. And your reference to older adults and older Americans is accurate because Joe and I debated and we found out that the proper term now is when you're 60 plus, the politically correct term is older adults, older Americans, as you're using. So I thank you for focusing us that those of us that are 60 plus are considered older adults. I'm one and, of them too, so it's okay. Uh, thank you for joining the ranks. <laughs> uh, so we see the world through a very different prism, in my opinion, uh, as to end of life healthcare decision making, and we become more reflective. On turning 74, uh, for example, I look at the MOLST form, which is the Massachusetts Medical Orders Life-Sustaining Treatment Form, and we included that in our new guide because of the COVID crisis. And I can't begin to tell you, Jordan, and Joe and I have had this discussing, discussion in the past, how many older adults, including myself, are really overwhelmed by this kind of a document. And as an attorney, I can tell you, when you look at this form and you have to check blocks, do uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, check. Do not resuscitate or attempt re resuscitation. Ventilation, do not intubate and ventilate. Intubate and ventilate. Do not use non-invasive ventilation, uh, CPAP. Uh, transfer to hospital, do not transfer or transfer. You go through this checklist um, in the midst of a COVID crisis, when you're in your 70s and 60s, you're seeing the world through a different prism than the 40 or 50-year-old. And you know that this is episodic. You want to get through a COVID diagnosis. And if you end up in an emergency room or hospital, I think the rules of the game are all changed. How you check these blocks and what you wish to do with an old most form that may have been out there has to be carefully reconsidered to see if it really reflects what you would want to happen. Because there's a crisis, and you, as Joe accurately said, you may want to be on a ventilator for maybe six or 10 days, but no longer. But how do you answer these overwhelming questions? Absolutely critical. And Joe, um, there are so many S-curves in the road, particularly now. What, in general, would you like to advise people to be careful of? I mean, I'm always leery of any online offer for anything, but seriously, what, what, what's yeah. a consumer tip for, for, for older Americans? I'm one of them. What should we be a little leery of? Well, 
the best information is still in force. Do not give your Medicare number, do not give your social security number to anybody at any time. Your doctor knows it when you give it to your doctor, you're in the doctor's office or you're seeing the doctor's face on the screen or you are um, presenting that card to the hospital. No one needs to get it by phone. No one needs to send you information threatening that your Medicare is going to be cut off. No one is, uh, that's simply not done. It's simply not done. Medicare will deny a payment, but they're never going to, absolutely never going to tell you that you're not eligible for Medicare when you are participating in Medicare already, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Okay, once you yes. enroll, that's it. You're enrolled and end of story. So be very careful of fraud that's out there. Do not, um, and do, do not hesitate to call your physician if you have any concerns at all. There are many ways that Medicare is making this easy and Mass, it's, Mass itself is making it easy. There are a number of times when you can do a phone visit or a computer visit or a um, in-person Zoom meeting with your provider. And if you do need to go in, that is not a problem. You will get an appointment. You will be in a very sterile area. So you don't have to worry about catching COVID from anybody in that room. All of the providers don't want to catch COVID either. So they are taking extreme steps to make sure that the waiting rooms and the examination rooms that you need are in fact as sterile as they can possibly be. Yeah, I think the message from both of you, and I knew this would be the case, is be prepared, play it safe, consider all the options, but know that there's a lot of information and a lot of safety out there if you take the time to investigate. And that's what this guide can help people do. Let me ask you both this question. I'll start with you, Alex. Are you concerned that amidst a crisis like this, a lot of people are going to sadly fall between the cracks? Yeah, that's right on the money, uh, Jordan, because... Uh, social isolation, in my experience, has been the biggest impact on the, the sense of well-being of uh, older adults in terms of if they are living alone to begin with, the double whammy of the COVID and social distancing, everything is detaching them from the normal way they were living. So they don't have access to their daily routines. They're not at the senior centers. They're not engaged as much in their community or their network of friends. They're, they're limited. Their world is becoming smaller smaller and narrower and narrower, leading to more health-related issues, autoimmune systems are breaking down because they're just more depressed, possibly, and tremendously concerned about how we make this information available because some older adults might not be comfortable with Zoom and computer access to this information. So how do we engage the community? And I think that's the real challenge. Can we be really creative just like the schools are with maybe having outdoor sessions. Can we reopen the councils for aging? I was talking to the Arlington Council for Aging, Jordan, and they're still up in the air as to if and when they will open. Everything is post-Labor Day. And there's so much uncertainty now that I think it's creating a layer of anxiety that's a really major concern. How can we connect is the issue. Joe, any comment? Again, it's very difficult. Perhaps people can initiate different uh, telephone chains or some other type of activity that keeps them connected. Um, if any 
siblings or uh, children are listening to this, no matter what your age, call frequently, call often, make sure that people are getting around doing things. And um, in my neighborhood, we have a get together every 4.30 afternoon. Everybody comes out of their houses, waves to each other, and six feet apart, we talk about what happened in the day, what's going on in town, that kind of thing. It's make do, but at least it we know by right. physically seeing people that they're still okay. We're doing at the Arlington Council for Aging a volunteer lawyer. We used to, um, I would donate a couple of days a week of my time, but we're doing call-ins now. And as Joe said, we can set up these informal networks, either phone, meeting in certain centers of a town that are socially safe and you know, there's libraries that are, you could go outdoors in the uh, parking lots and uh, use the space. I think we just have to use the space that's available creatively until things are opened up and people are comfortable to get back to the normal routine. I see something on the other side, though. I see a number of people who have, in fact, lost jobs. You may be living in a home where... Uh, you have multiple family members, two or three of them may be out of work. And this may be a time when you have to think about how the money is going to flow. And it may be a time when you have to think about a um, reverse mortgage. It may be a time when an elder person needs to think about mass health or some of the other opportunities available for care. My thanks to attorneys Alex Moschella and Josephine Babiars, members of the MBA Elder Law Advisory Committee. Now, for the guide and lots of very helpful information, please visit massbar.org forward slash elder law. Once again, massbar.org forward slash elder law. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, available for free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service by calling 866-627-7577. Once again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar B, produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich, thanking you for listening.